You know what I've come for. I know where you come from. Before you called yourself Kylo Ren. The map to Skywalker. We know you found it. And now you're going to give it to the First Order. The First Order rose from the dark side. You did not. I'll show you the dark side. You may try. But you cannot deny the truth. That is your family. You are so right. This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, or as close as a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. A masked figure emerges from the chaos of a siege. He surveys the carnage delivered by troopers under his command. He is hell-bent and fixed on his goal to locate something important to his cause. He needs to find it, and he'll stop at nothing to achieve it. Welcome to episode 11. I'm Mark Marquis. When I describe the previous scene, what do you think of? Was it the opening scenes of The Force Awakens, or was it the first few minutes of A New Hope? It works in both cases. That's no accident. The introduction of Kylo Ren heralds a new era of Star Wars to a waiting world. It was meant to spark memories of the original Star Wars, both in theme and execution. This was a calculated effort to ground these new films in something familiar by borrowing the framework of A New Hope. How you feel about that is based on what you've come to expect out of Star Wars. But regardless of the filmmaking approach, the opening scenes of The Force Awakens do so much more than mimic A New Hope. They contain a subtext that is vital to understanding the character of Kylo Ren. He's walking in the shadow of Darth Vader. If it feels like he's a pale comparison to Vader, well, maybe that's the whole point. And it's also something the character himself knows. He is driven by an almost desperate impulse to fulfill the legacy of his grandfather. But where Vader was measured and precise and cool under pressure, Kylo is conflicted and prone to fits of rage. He's a man with something to prove. It makes him unpredictable and dangerous. That results in a character study that is more complex, layered, and surprising than any conventional villain we've had in this franchise. I wasn't sure whether I should wait to do an exploration of the character of Kylo until this sequel trilogy was complete. On the one hand, Doing it now, before we've seen the full arc of his journey, feels premature. There are still so many unanswered questions, so many expectations weighing on the shoulders of Kylo. He has a massive fan base, and they have very heartfelt expectations about where they want to see the character end up. Wouldn't it be better to simply wait and see how it all plays out before I provide an analysis of him as a character? Well, yeah, I mean sure, it would be prudent, but it wouldn't be as much fun. Delving into Kylo Ren's arc now, before the end, offers an opportunity. We get to feel him struggle, and we get to live in it, just like he does, before knowing what the future holds. This uncertainty about his fate is literally woven into the fabric of Kylo Ren as a follower of the dark side, as a leader of the First Order, 
as a son of rebellion heroes, as the grandson of a legendary evil, as a Skywalker. Yes, Skywalker. His family name may be Solo, but his lineage is Skywalker. It's important to remember that, because rejecting those names is part of what defines him. The name Solo was never really his because it was never really his father's to begin with. And the other name, it represents a path to the light he's trying to avoid. He's determined to erase his past while simultaneously being chained to it and to a feeling that he will not live up to the legacies that his family built. Adam Driver explains. There's nothing more powerful than genetics. If you really imagine the stakes of him in his youth, having all these special powers and having your parents kind of be absent during that process on their own agendas, equally as selfish. He's lost in the world that he was raised in and feels that he was kind of abandoned by the people that he's closest with. He's angry because of that, I think, and he has a huge grudge on his shoulders. George Lucas is famous for saying, Again, it's like poetry, so if they rhyme. And the new creators of Star Wars are keeping that tradition alive. Good people, gone astray, is a repeating theme in Star Wars. Lucas intentionally showed Anakin Skywalker as a sweet, wide-eyed innocent in The Phantom Menace, because he wanted to show someone who started out as inherently pure at heart, and then, gradually, throughout their life, slipped further and further into darkness. He wasn't interested in portraying Anakin as a bad seed or a brat, some nasty little piece of work who was always destined for evil. And neither was Ben Solo. Did Ben turn to the dark side because he felt he had no other purpose in life, or was it because Luke believed he was not worth saving? Did he tell you what happened? Snowy had already turned his heart. It's an open-ended question, because we still don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. But until we know just where his story ends, we don't know how any of these events truly affect who he is as a person. Monster? Misunderstood? Bad guy? Prodigal son? Or all of the above? The Force Awakens does a good job of establishing both the similarities and differences between Kylo Ren and Darth Vader. It's right there in the costume design. The intimidating mask, the regal black cloak, the villain's theme song. But unlike Vader, Kylo Ren removes the mask. Underneath is the face of someone with remnants of his humanity intact, even as he does unforgivable things to achieve his goals. Vader's mask rarely comes off, and when it does in The Empire Strikes Back, we only get glimpses of the horror beneath. We aren't allowed to look fully upon the face of Darth Vader until his journey concludes in Return of the Jedi. But The Force Awakens wants us to look into the eyes of Kylo Ren, to know he is struggling with a desire to throw all his ambition away and return to his family. A pull to the light, as Kylo refers to it. This revelation about his character begs us to sympathize, and judging by the enormous fan base for Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren, I'd say the film succeeds. We spent a lot of time keeping as few people as possible on the set, and, you know, it's a serious scene. It was emotional. It was emotional for the actors, both Harrison and Adam Driver. 
wanted to avoid that scene as much as possible, and then was also very excited to do it. But to go to that place, uh, what it brought up in, in myself was a lot. And action! The Force Awakens also does something shocking. It kills off a beloved character. But it does so at the hands of that character's own son. For a lot of people, myself included, that cements him as a true villain. But upon closer inspection, it's not just black and white, because what happens next is a fascinating peek inside a conflicted mind. I'm being torn apart. I want to be free of this pain. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Can you help me? Yes, anything. My reading of this scene is that Ben Solo is not fully committed to killing Han until the very moment he does so. I believe him when he says he's being torn apart and just wants an end to it. But in his internal conflict, that feeling can be removed by either a return to the light or by fully embracing the darkness. And in a split-second decision, he chooses darkness. But nothing about Kylo Ren is ever that simple. That lightsaber, it belongs to me. Come get it. When Rey and Finn are confronted in the forest by Kylo, his crackling saber ignited and ready for battle. They see him repeatedly punching his side, the place where he suffered a wound when Chewie shot him with a bowcaster. To understand why he's doing this requires us to know more about the dark side. The Sith drew power from their anger, rage, and pain. They believed it gave them greater strength. Although Kylo is not a Sith, he's still trying to give himself fully to the dark side. What I find interesting about the wound is Kylo Ren has just murdered his own father. It was an act of brutality meant to sever his connection to his family. He should be feeling something anything about Han's death. Even grief is a strong enough emotion. He should be able to tap into it somehow, to grow more powerful with the dark side. But he's relying on his physical wound. To me, that suggests he's cut off his feelings, likely to protect himself from the guilt of murdering his own father. He's numb emotionally. Whether consciously or not, Kylo is not allowing himself to feel anything even negative emotions. He's not quite passed over fully to the dark side, even after committing such an unspeakable act. And that, in itself, is interesting. One of the fascinating things about the boiling, tortured anger Adam Driver delivers to his role is how he's able to convey two psychological states at one time. Kylo Ren feels a tremendous amount of indignation at the notion that anyone else but him could wield the Skywalker lightsaber. And he's also wrestling with the doubt that he can live up to Darth Vader's reputation. You can see it in the facial twitches Driver uses in this film and in The Last Jedi. He does a stellar job of portraying Kylo Ren as someone right on the very edge between vulnerability and deadly rage. <laughs> The snow-covered fight in the forest is a beautiful spectacle. 
The art designers did a fantastic job of creating an indoor set that really does look like an outside forest that goes on forever. I especially like how the lightsaber duel goes through several stages, with different opponents taking each other on in different ways, leading ultimately to the final standoff between Rey and Kylo. The battle ends when the ground below Starkiller base literally splits apart, separating the two from each other. It's almost as if the Force is pushing them apart, telling us it's not ready for them to destroy one another. The Force has other plans for our antagonist and protagonist. But is Kylo an antagonist? Or is he something more? Director Ryan Johnson explains why he was excited to tackle that question. Kylo, that was the character that I was most excited about getting into and, and writing. Because in the first Star Wars films, Vader was a great villain, but he was never someone that you identified with. Whereas with Kylo, it's almost like Rey and Kylo are two halves of the protagonist. And if this is all about the transition from adolescence into adulthood, Kylo is that anger of adolescence. My favorite kind of, of bad guy are the ones that you identify with. That was really interesting to me. And how those two are going to develop and affect each other and play off each other, being kind of two halves of this whole. If the protagonist's journey in Star Wars is about transitioning from adolescence into adulthood, Kylo Ren's adolescent anger and Rey's adolescent discovery of self play off each other in interesting ways as the two characters come face to face in a surprising new way in The Last Jedi. You'll bring Luke Skywalker to me. They're not doing this. The effort would kill you. Can you see my surroundings? You're gonna pay for what you did. I can't see yours. Just you. It takes their conflict into a complicated new direction. Something connects them across space and time. They're linked, inextricably and without warning, into an intimate conversation, where they're forced to confront one another, but without the opportunity for physical combat. Somehow, this is something else. These Force FaceTimes, as I like to call them, begin to reveal more about the connection between Rey and Kylo. When they have their second encounter, Rey is beneath the Falcon, marveling at the rain. She spent her life in arid desolation, but these past few days, while traumatic, have also opened up worlds of beauty and new experiences. And that's when she sees him again, standing much like her, facing a wide gulf. But Kylo Ren doesn't contemplate an ocean. His view is filled with weapons and troops. In the place of rain, sparks fall as he peers out into the First Order's armory. The visual metaphor is striking. One figure against a backdrop of nature, another against the backdrop of war. Why is the Force connecting us? You and I. Murderous snake! You're too late. You lost. I found Skywalker. Did he tell you what happened? The night I destroyed his temple, did he tell you why? I know everything I need to know about you. You do? 
You have that look in your eyes from the forest. And you called me a monster. You are a monster. Yes, I am. As their force connection ends, Kylo looks down to his hand and finds droplets of water, just like the water Ray was marveling at mere moments before. Their connection is beginning to deepen into something more than just a shared vision of one another. Their worlds and experiences are beginning to mesh and overlap. But to what end? And who is responsible for this? Design-wise, with the Force Connections, I didn't want it to be about some kind of trippy effect of them connecting across the universe. I wanted it to be just as intimate and simple as possible. So that's kind of where the notion of just doing it with simple intercutting came from. When they find themselves connected for a third time, Ray has moved on from insults and now wants answers. Ray, left to fend for herself, longing for the return of her family, can't comprehend why a son would murder a loving father. The only thing that makes sense is hatred. It had to be out of hate. Why did you hate your father? Give me an honest answer. You had a father who loved you. He gave a damn about you. I didn't hate him. Then why? Why what? For Kylo Ren, strength comes from cutting off all feeling and connection to family, to mentors, to anyone who would attempt to define him on their terms. Luke Skywalker, in Kylo's mind, is the most egregious of these. And then we get a second peek at the events of that evening back at the Jedi School. But this time, from the perspective of a younger man, one who is filled with self-doubt and uncertainty, anger and frustration. Kylo's perspective is filtered through the memories of fear, the sight of his uncle with a lightsaber poised to strike. In Kylo's mind, Luke's face is twisted with murderous intent. Ben Solo felt abandoned by his family, betrayed by his uncle, an uncle who feared what he was destined to become. So Ben turned the tables. He set out to wipe away any emotional connection he had to the teachers, to the guardians, to the family in his life. He would cut those ties so he could be free. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. Something occurred to me while re-watching this scene. It's interesting that what Kylo Ren is advocating is not unlike what the Jedi Order of the Old Republic preached. Cutting ties to attachments. To the past. I find it fascinating that Kylo Ren's words, the words of this movie's supposed villain, sound so much like the Jedi. Shortly after this scene, Rey has her dark side mirror vision in which she received no easy answers. And the first person she turns to, the one person she knows will understand her desperate quest for purpose, is Kylo Ren. I'd never felt so alone. You're not alone. Beside the warm glow of a campfire, Rey and Kylo move ever closer within their force bond. Neither are you. They sense they're sharing the same path for the first time, not as enemies, but as two souls who share a unique perspective and a unique opportunity. It isn't too late. Moved, perhaps by instinct, they reach out to see just how far this connection goes, knowing that a physical touch could bring clarity and a vision of their destinies. By the time Luke finds them in the hut and sees the truth for himself, 
Rey and Kylo's connection is sealed. In a panic, Luke reaches out with the Force to destroy the vision before him. But instead of blowing out the far wall, the wall behind Luke goes flying in the other direction. I believe this is because the bond between Rey and Kylo refracted Luke's power, much like a shield. It's only when they touch that either of them actually see what could be. And through that, they build this kind of incredible intimacy. Luke should be the one nurturing Rey, and it's actually Kylo that is. That was really nice. Great. Earlier, Ryan Johnson said that Kylo and Rey were two halves of a protagonist. They each want the same thing, but they take radically different approaches to achieve it. Nothing illustrates this better than the elevator scene. Ben, when we touched hands, I saw your future. Just the shape of it, but solid and clear. You will not bow before Snoke. We'll turn. I saw something too. Because of what I saw, I know when the moment comes, you'll be the one to turn. You'll stand with me. Sometimes I think this film's title could have been from a different point of view, because that theme keeps cropping up again and again. With the Rashomon sequence involving the Jedi school, and now this conversation in the elevator, it's clear that one event being seen and interpreted differently through the filter of different individuals is something that keeps popping up in The Last Jedi. Rey and Kylo both see the same objective event in the future, but both come away with disparate expectations. They do so while staying true to their respective goals and desires. Kylo believes Rey will reject the past in favor of a future with him. Rey believes Kylo will return to the light, to his past, and find redemption with her. The arena in which that moment of truth plays out is a centerpiece of the film. The throne room is meant to harken back to the throne room in Return of the Jedi. But quickly, the story establishes that this is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen in Star Wars. This is as good a time as any to talk about Snoke, the golden-robed red herring that has frustrated many a fanboy. He's a shameless stand-in for the Emperor, but his relationship to Kylo Ren is somewhat murky. We had little to go on from The Force Awakens other than the fact that Han and Leia believed Ben was led astray by Snoke. But J.J. Abrams has confirmed that bit of speculation. But it's more than just having sort of a bad seed as a kid. Snoke had targeted this kid who knew that this kid was going to be incredibly powerful in The Force and wanted him as an ally. So this mother and her father had a target for a son. Someone was watching their boy, and these parents aren't there enough to guide him. Like Palpatine before him, Snoke knew what was going on in the head of his young protege, and he used it against him. The most sly trick used by both Palpatine and Snoke was the ability to make their targets believe they were acting on their own wants and desires, seeking out knowledge and power, when in fact, Anakin and Ben were being manipulated all along. But where the Emperor often resorted to condescension with his Sith apprentice, Snoke favored cruelty. Alas, you're no Vader. You're just a child. In a mask. This further emboldened Kylo's resolve to destroy any construct which others had used to define him. And so often with Kylo Ren, 
that choice is expressed through blind rage. But when Kylo brings Rey before Snoke, and he hears for himself Snoke's assertion that it was he all along bridging their minds, an idea forms. If the vision Rey and Kylo shared of each other joining forces was a trick, planted in their minds, perhaps there was still a way to bring it to fruition and turn Snoke's manipulation against him. Kylo sits, silent and patient, as his master monologues, as all good villains do, but he begins to piggyback his own intent and actions on the arrogant assumptions bloviating from Snoke. Son of darkness, heir apparent to Lord Vader. Where there was conflict, I now sense resolve. Where there was weakness, strength. Complete your training and fulfill your destiny. And that is exactly what Kylo Ren is going to do. Fulfill his own destiny. I cannot be betrayed. I cannot be beaten. I see his mind. I see his every intent. Yes, I see him turning the lightsaber to strike true. And now, foolish child, he ignites it and kills his true enemy. Amazing. Every word of what he just said was true. As the icy blue saber pierces his midsection, Snoke's role as master manipulator comes to a dramatic and fitting end, and Rey and Kylo become one with a force. I have to take a minute and just gush at the beauty of this scene. The blood-red uniforms of the Praetorian guards set against the red curtains, and Kylo and Rey's blades swinging wildly in the middle of the chaos that erupts. Rey and Kylo are like dance partners, reading each other's moves, anticipating the next blow, the next swing, the next parry, back to back as equals, two halves of a protagonist, finishing off the last of the Praetorian guards in the wake of Snoke's ruin. During the course of the fight, the room begins to burn, the curtains disintegrate. Fiery shards rain from the ceiling. It's as if Rey and Kylo are purging the years of lies and deceit Snoke used to pull Ben away from the light. Some of those lies may have even included the voice of Darth Vader. Something was speaking to Kylo Ren and showing him the true nature of the dark side. But was that Snoke or something else? And since we're on the subject of manipulation, I personally don't believe that Snoke is the one who created the Force connection between Rey and Kylo. I think he knew about it and he certainly used it to his advantage, but as evidenced by one final force connection at the end of the film, long after Snoke is dead, something or someone else is responsible for bringing these two characters together. Ben? It's time to let old things die. Snoke? Skywalker, the Sith, the Jedi, the Rebels, let it all die. Ray, I want you to join me. We can rule together and bring a new order to the galaxy. Don't do this, Ben. 
Please don't go this way. No, no, you're still holding on! Let go! The two halves return to their diametrically opposed outlooks. Kylo wants to cut off all ties to the old galaxy and make a new one. Rey is still holding on to the friends and family she made while understanding her place in that universe, and she thought Ben would be part of that. But as tears roll down her face, she understands the choice Ben has made, the choice to remain Kylo Ren. Thirteen incoming light craft. Shall we hold until we clear them? No. The resistance is in that mine. Push through. Kylo's first directive as Supreme Leader is an assault on the resistance stronghold of Crate. He may have had a moment of indecision earlier when he couldn't bring himself to fire upon his mother's ship, but Kylo Ren shows no such doubt now. He is resolved to destroy the base and everyone in it, even Leia. But his assault faces a challenge he never anticipated. Kylo berated Rey for not being able to let go of the past, and yet Kylo's grudge against Luke isn't consistent with a person wanting to cut himself off from the past. He's not satisfied to simply leave it behind. He has to obliterate it with maximum firepower. If, according to Kylo, Rey's weakness is false hope, then his weakness is surely the inability to let go of grievances. It drives him to overkill, distracts him from forging a new path, whatever that may be within the dark side, because he's obsessed with Luke. He's obsessed with not just beating Luke, but destroying the very idea of Luke. Do you think you got him? Where did this rage come from? Well, it comes from pain. I think Ben Solo is in so much pain over the break with his family, he blames Luke for not doing more to help him overcome that pain. He was in Luke's care during a time of internal struggle, and instead of giving him the means to deal with those dark thoughts, Luke turned against him. Well, that's how Ben Solo sees it anyway. Blaming others for one's own mistake is something we see frequently in people who fall to the dark side. When Luke emerges from the cloud of debris, unscathed, mocking Kylo with that little shoulder brush. It pushes Kylo to take it a step further and confront him face to face. I'm sorry. I'm sure you are. The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. The Rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi. Luke and Kylo's final confrontation is a beautiful metaphor. Kylo Ren can't truly become what he longs to be because he's still chained to the ghosts of his past the ghost of his mother's love, the ghost of the look in his father's eyes when he touched his face for the last time. And now, Luke, a mirage, a visage, forever out of reach, Kylo's vengeance is denied. 
see you around, kid. The path Kylo Ren has fought so hard to create is one he will never see come to fruition, because his destiny may lead elsewhere. I believe his true path will lead him back to Ben Solo, but to a fate we do not yet know. Perhaps his defeat on Crate will be that first step. In conclusion to this episode, I wanted to take uh, the opportunity to do something that I don't often do with this uh, series, and that's just sort of talk off the cuff about something. I intentionally didn't discuss the topic of Raylo because I wanted to save it for the very end of the episode and sort of just speak um, off the top of my mind about it because I've had a lot of thoughts about uh, Raylo as a, as a fan movement. Well, first, I think it's important to go ahead and admit that I'm not a Raylo. Um, I don't typically like to ship characters at all, but um, I have no problem with anyone else doing it. I've just never done it myself, um, aside from occasionally having fun with the idea of a certain um, resistance pilot and an ex-stormtrooper. But that's that's not something that I have any issue with. I just don't personally do it. One of the things that I've noticed in the fan community, though, is that uh, this movement of, of and growing popularity uh, of Raylos, which is, if anyone doesn't know, the term Raylo is basically, it's a, it's a shipping term where you, you put two characters' names together into one. Uh, so the idea of Rey and Kylo Ren becoming a, a romantic item would be referred to as somebody who is a fan of that theory it would be referred to as Raylo. And there are lots and lots and lots of fans of Raylo. And a good portion of these fans are lifelong Star Wars fans. They've been Star Wars fans their entire life. And some of them have just become Star Wars fans based on the new films. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a lifelong fan or, or you're a brand new fan, whatever brings you to this franchise and something that causes you to fall in love with it is great. Even though I'm not somebody who is a uh, shipper, I love the fact that there are shippers. Even if I'm not participating in that way of loving the franchise, it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it. And it would be better, I think, if, if a lot of fans who take issue with it would just remember that what, whatever it is, whether it's you love Boba Fett or you're a fan of Jar Jar Binks or you just like the ships in Star Wars or you're big into the lightsaber duels and the choreography that goes on to, into those battles, uh, whatever it is, there's, everyone has a specialty that they like about Star Wars. And I don't think it's right to make anybody else feel bad about it either. And I've seen through social media a lot of what I would call bullying of Raylos and people who ship because mostly, I would say, not everybody, but most, mostly the overwhelming majority of shippers are women. And it seems like there's a very nasty animus directed towards those fans um, because they're, they're not seen as being welcome in, in fandom or they, they don't bring something they don't bring enough to the franchise or that they love the franchise in a wrong way 
that's really problematic for me. So I kind of wanted to take the opportunity to sort of say this at the end, even though I'm not somebody who sees Kylo Ren and Rey as a romantic couple, I definitely see them as having a bond and having an intimate bond. I can certainly understand why people would view that and take the next step and see it as something romantic. One of the recurring theories among fans of Raylo is the redemption of Ben Solo. I have to confess that initially I was resistant to the idea that he could be redeemed after killing Han Solo, but I've come around to it because mainly in Star Wars there are cycles, and redemption has been the key theme throughout the original trilogy. It was vital to the original trilogy that Darth Vader could in some way be redeemed, at least in the eyes of Luke. Uh, for the audience, it's another question. I'm not convinced that, that Anakin Skywalker uh, deserved to be fully redeemed for all the terrible things he did, and he did some really, really terrible things. But what's important is, in the end, the Force deemed him worthy of redemption. And if that is the, the direction that Kylo Ren's story is going to go, and he finds his way back to Ben Solo, I think I can accept that. And it would certainly be the least cynical way to end this story, or to end his story. I don't, I don't want Star Wars to end uh, on a dark note or an ambiguous note. It doesn't have to have a fairy tale ending like the end of Return of the Jedi. But since this is the conclusion of a nine-film saga, I think it should ha it should leave with a positive message. Someone on Twitter said, "In the end, if." Star Wars ends on the subject of redemption and hope and that someone can be turned around through love. Are we really going to get mad at the people who believe that? I think that was probably the turning point for me where I sort of took a step back and said, you know, that's really a great way to look at it. I hope you liked this episode and I just wanted to sort of wrap it up with my own off-the-cuff thoughts because the, the subject of loving something the way you want to love it and not being judged for it is very important to me. And I just wanted to get that out there. Thank you for listening to this special Ben-centric episode of Forever Star Wars. If you have thoughts or questions about anything I covered here, please let me know. You can email me at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at DJMMarquis, and I'm also on Instagram as MMarquis1205. I'll see you soon. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember, Your focus determines your reality.